It's appropriate that we come to Daniel chapter 4 this morning as we are looking through this book, this really incredible book. Uh, It's important that we come to Daniel chapter 4 on Graduation Recognition Sunday because of this. There are truths about life that are easy to miss in the midst of all of the graduation fun and games. Now, those parents who were just standing up here, I think they would probably uh, dispute my characterization of fun and games. It gets a little busy, it gets a little hectic. Uh, But what we're trying to do as a society is recognize that there's this transition that's happening for these young people as they are now moving into a new part of their lives. Right, And you hear it in countless graduation speeches, right? Uh, This is the first day of the rest of your life, right? And, And you have all of those platitudes that we like to throw around, but it really is an important inflection moment. Here's the problem. Many of us, having graduated from whatever education we possess, conclude then that that that's the end. And now we just got to make our own way and figure it out from here. Daniel chapter 4 challenges the way we might think about that. So if you've got a Bible, I would encourage you to turn to Daniel chapter 4. And we're going to be, we're going to be looking at this text as we, as we kind of go through it. We're going to be thinking about how does this apply to us today? What does this mean for those of us here in the 21st century, whether we're graduating or we've graduated 30 years ago, wherever we find ourselves, what does Daniel chapter 4 have to say? How does it apply, the lesson of this chapter, how does it apply to our lives, all right? Uh, now, Daniel chapter 4 is coming on the heels of what? No, Daniel chapter 3. Come on, guys, you know this. Right, coming right on the heels of Daniel chapter 3, which uh, Kamar covered last week, you know, talking about the three young Hebrew men, right? You had Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, and it's their experience there in the furnace. Now, that experience came about because Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, built a statue of himself almost 100 feet high out of gold. I'm no psychologist, but I'm thinking that if somebody builds a statue of themselves out of gold over almost 100 feet high, they might have a slightly elevated opinion of themselves. Would you agree? You don't even have to build a statue 92 feet tall to have a slightly inflated view of yourself, but if you do, and some of you are canceling your plans for that next home improvement project, Right, if you do, then you might have a slightly inflated view of yourself, and that does not square, that does not square with the main point of Daniel that God is in charge. In hard times, in good times, God is in charge, right? When things are going great and when things are going terrible, God is still in charge. Nebuchadnezzar is about to learn that the hard way, but he starts out as if he's already learned it. What we find out pretty quick is he's actually relating his reflections on events that have passed. So we catch Nebuchadnezzar after he's already learned a very vital lesson that I think we need to learn as well today. Look at verse one with me. King Nebuchadnezzar, to those of every people, nation, and language who live on the whole earth, may your prosperity increase. I am pleased to tell you about the miracles and wonders the Most High God has done for me. How great are his miracles, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom, and his dominion is from 
generation to generation. Now, those first three verses make it sound like Nebuchadnezzar has a right understanding of who God is. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of chapter 3, he said, Praise be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He, he said, Praise be that God, but he didn't take it to heart. He's saying these words right here after a pretty difficult season in his life. He's saying these words, and he seems to have forgotten uh, what he had just learned in chapter 3, because what he did is he decided that he was in charge. He decided that he was great. Look at verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. Right, so, so this is now the, the history. This is the flashback. If this was a movie, this is the point where the camera goes a little fuzzy around the edges, and we can tell this is a historical montage that's taking place. He is looking back, and he says, I was at ease, and I was flourishing. Life was good. And then it says, but I had a dream, and it frightened me. While in my bed, the images and visions in my mind alarmed me. Now, this sounds familiar to those of us who've been in the book for a little while. When we first met Daniel, that's what we saw him do, was answering the king's question about a dream, right, that had concerned him. This young man who had been captured along with his friends and brought into Babylon and was going to be raised up as an advisor to the king, he is, uh, makes the choice to stay faithful to the Lord by eating what's good, what's kosher, not what the king has provided, and then he answers the king's vision that had concerned him. So we already should be getting some, some resonance here. Some ideas. You know what? Hold on just a second. I don't ever do this, but I find that I am slightly hungry this morning, and I'm having trouble focusing on Daniel chapter 4, talking about food and talking about all that stuff in Daniel chapter 1. Uh, I need two volunteers. I need two volunteers. Here, now, let me give you, let me give you this is what you're going to have. You're actually going to have to come up here. All right, so before anybody jumps, I didn't seed the audience with volunteers. I need two volunteers who will come up and sit right here for me. Uh, rule is you can't have any cash in your pocket. And you have to like chocolate. Nora, come on. Nora, I tell you what, Bill, let me, let me, let me grab Nariah here. Nariah and Nora and Eli, I'm sorry, man, I didn't see you in time. <laughs> We'll, we'll, make this, we'll make this a team effort here. All right, so you guys know where the connections desk out, is out in the hall, right? Okay, you know where that's at? All right. Do you know there's chocolate bars on that desk? <laughs> Same response that I had when I walked out and saw them. So here's what I need you guys to do. Uh, I need you to go out there for me. And they're, they're a dollar, but I'm feeling generous, and I want to I support our students in the work that they're doing. So... I need you to go and put this $5 bill in the money collection spot, and each of you grab a candy bar and bring it back in here to me, okay? Can you do that? All right, who wants the money? Eli gets the money. Everybody, y'all three, go get a candy bar and bring it back in here, okay? Go ahead. Now, while they're doing that, guys, <laughs> everybody's like, what is he doing? Stuart was like, man, I, I, it was too slow. All right, so they're going to go get that. Now, guys, what is going on here is Nebuchadnezzar's at ease. He's flourishing in his palace. And then it says he has this vision, and it's of concern to him. It's got him worried. 
And so he does what he did back in chapter two. He sends for his advisors and he says, hey, y'all come. Now he doesn't test them again. He tells them the dream and he says, give me the interpretation. But they could not make its interpretation known to me. Finally, Daniel, named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and a spirit of the holy gods is in him, came before me, and I told him the dream. Belteshazzar, head of the magicians, because I know that you have the spirit of the holy gods and that no mystery puzzles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I saw and its interpretation. In the visions of my mind as I was lying in bed, I saw this. All right, hey guys, you got candy bars? Everybody hold them. Okay, just sit right here for a second. Let me finish reading this real quick. Go ahead and sit in the front row. Front row, Nora, if you want to sit with them right there. Perfect. Thank you guys for going along with this craziness. In the visions of my mind as I was lying there in bed, I saw this. There was a tree in the middle of the earth, and it was very tall. And the tree grew very large and strong, and its top reached to the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful. Its fruit was abundant. And on it was food for all. Wild animals found shelter under it. The birds of the sky lived in its branches, and every creature was fed from it. Now, what we're seeing here, guys, is this incredible provision of this tree for everything around it, right? We see this great tree, and it's, it's great in its own right, but its greatness is also seen in the fact that everything is coming to it and being provided from it. Right? There's this tree, and there's these animals, and there's fruit, and there's food for all, the text says. Now, that sounds really good, and it makes me think of these candy bars that we have right here. All right, so I sent you guys out to get candy bars, right? You got candy bars. Nariah, what did you get? You got a caramel one? You've got the WF Crisp, and you've got the wafer. All right. Now, here's what I need you guys to do for me, all right? I need you guys to play along for just a second, all right? Which of you wants to do what I say next, and which of you wants to ignore what I say next? Who wants to ignore what I say next? Nora, <laughs> Nora volunteers to ignore what I say next. That's great. I needed, I needed a volunteer to do that. But I want you to see, she volunteered. I didn't, I didn't put this on her. All right. So what I say next, you ignore me, okay? All right? What I say next, you guys listen to me. Can we do that? All right. Nariah, Eli, Nora, please give me those candy bars. Thank you. Just stay there. We're not done yet. Trust me, we're not done yet. When, when we see Nebuchadnezzar and we see this dream, we're like, why is this concerning to you? Why in the world would this worry you at all? This is a beautiful picture, this tree that provides for everything under the shadow of its branches. What they need, what they desire, what they want is provided there. But his concern is not with this part. His concern is with what happens next. Look at this in verse 13. As I was lying in my bed, I also saw in the visions of my mind a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven, he called out loudly, cut down the tree and chop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it, the birds from its branches, but leave the stump with its roots in the ground with a band of iron and bronze around it in the tender grass of the field. Let him be drenched with dew from the sky and share the plants of the earth with the animals. 
Let his mind be changed from that of a human. Let him be given the mind of an animal for seven periods of time. This word is by decree of the watchers, and the decision is by the command of the holy ones. This is so that the living will know that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms. He gives it to anyone he wants and sets the lowliest of people over it. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because none of the wise men of my kingdom can make its interpretation known to me. But you can, because you have a spirit of the holy gods. Now, that dream is a little bit more concerning, is it not? That dream has a little bit more uh, fear inherent to it, right? This tree that was beautiful, that was providing for everything, is chopped down and instead is no more. And it seems it's more than just a tree because the language shifts from neutral language, it, to personal language, he. Nebuchadnezzar's a little bit concerned. I feel really bad, guys, taking these from you. Did I get that right? You had the caramel, you had the wafer? Okay. All right. Now, again, Nora's going to ignore what I say next. Eli and Neriah, you guys are going to listen to what I say next, right? Okay. Here's what I want you guys to do. I want you guys to take those candy bars and give them to somebody else. Anybody, pick them. Anybody in this room, anyways. Anybody in this room, pick somebody. And this is where I expected the audience to begin lobbying for a candy bar. But just pick them. Just pick them. Just give, give that candy bar to somebody. All right. Perfect. Good job. Well done. All right. Nebuchadnezzar's concerned. Y'all are starting to get concerned. You think I've lost my marbles. These guys are concerned. They think they've lost their candy bars. Which one of you is more concerned at this point? <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar's a little bit worried because he's starting to think, this, this might be about me. This, this dream might be about me. Then Daniel, verse 19, whose name is Belteshazzar, was stunned for a moment and his thoughts alarmed him. And the king said, Belteshazzar, don't let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, my Lord, may the dream apply to those who hate you and its interpretation to your enemies. In other words, yeah, I don't really want to tell you what I'm about to tell you, but I got to tell you anyways. I just wish it was about somebody else and not you. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, whose top reached to the sky and was visible to the whole earth and whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals lived and in its branches, the birds of the sky lived. That tree is you. Your majesty, for you have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown and even reaches the sky. Your dominion extends to the ends of the earth. The king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump with its roots in the ground. And with a band of iron and bronze around it in the tender grass of the field, let it be. Let it be drenched with the dew from the sky and share food with the wild animals for seven periods of time. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree that the Most High has issued against my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals. You will feed on grass like cattle and be drenched with dew from the sky for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms and gives them to anyone he wants." As for the command to leave the tree's stump with its roots, your kingdom will be restored to you as soon as you acknowledge that heaven rules. 
Therefore, may, it seem, may, may my advice seem good to you, my king. Separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right and from your injustices by showing mercy to the needy. Perhaps there will be an extension of your prosperity. You were right to be concerned, Nebuchadnezzar. You're right to be worried. You are going to go insane. As judgment, as, as an evidence against you, as proof that God is on his throne and you are not all that you think you are, Nebuchadnezzar, you are going to eat grass in the field. You're going to be like the wild animals. And I wish it wasn't about you. Repent, Nebuchadnezzar, essentially, is what Daniel says. Repent. Change your ways. Acknowledge heaven's rule now. Show mercy. Give to those in need. Perhaps this judgment can be stayed. Well, Nebuchadnezzar had his questions answered. Do y'all want your questions answered? Okay, Nora, what's your job in this? To not listen to anything I say, right? Right? Nariah, Eli, what are, what are your guys' responsibilities? To listen. Would you guys please go look inside the hut to the left there and see what you find? A reminder, guys, this hut is up here to remind us to be praying for the mission church in Ladelia, Ecuador. Look in to the left on the ground, Nariah. Uh, right there by the door as you come out. Do you guys see anything? What'd you find? Ooh, not just a little bit of candy. Now, here's the trick. There's 50 pieces of candy in there, but because there's two of you, you're going to have to open it and split it out. And so I'll let y'all work that out in just a second. Nora, thank you so much for joining me. That candy bar is yours. And you may go back to your mom and dad. Nariah and Eli, thank you guys for joining me. You guys can split that up afterwards. Go back to your mom and dad for now. Appreciate it. That's yours. You guys are going to have to figure out how to share it, though. Now, who's wondering what's the point? Preacherly speaking, <laughs> it wasn't really that I was hungry. Because look who didn't get a candy bar. The point is the same point that Daniel's trying to make for Nebuchadnezzar. And that's the point for all of us today, right? Now, I, I really try to shy away from illustrations that make me the hero, or in this case, even worse, would me, make me take the an, analogy role of God. But I want you to track with me and don't get sidetracked by that. God has given to every single person a life. And let's say in this instance, that life was represented by a candy bar. Every single person has been given a life, and it's, it's good. Even, even, if it's, even if it's hard, it's good. Life itself is a gift from God. But then each of us has a choice of what we're going to do with that life. Graduates, you have a choice of what you will do with your life. But parents, grandparents, those who look forward to graduation, those who can't imagine graduation ever getting here, it seems to be taking so long. 
you've been given a life. And you have a choice of what to do with it. Nebuchadnezzar was handed a life, and and if Nebuchadnezzar's life was a candy bar, it's the king-size pack of Reese's from Costco, all right? That's about as good as I can imagine when it comes to candy bars. He's got everything. He's got power. He's got fame. He is able to provide for those around him shade and rest and food. But he doesn't do one vital thing. He doesn't listen or acknowledge God. He doesn't listen or acknowledge God. God gives us a life, and then he asks us the hardest thing ever. Give it back. Give it to me. Jesus comes and says, if any of you would follow me, if any of you would come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Any who is willing to lose his life for my sake will gain the world. Anyone who loses his life for the world's sake will lose it from me as well. We're given a life and we're told, give it back to the one who gave it. But he doesn't ask for it back for his own sake. Instead, he turns around and says, all right, no, 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 it's, it's yours, but give it to someone else. Give it to those in need around you. Give it to those who are poor, who are oppressed. It's not yours to keep. It's yours to give. And that's a hard point. We gave it to God. We were willing to go that far, but then he gave it back. And now he says, give it to others. We come to God and we say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I need your grace. And we're assured of salvation through Christ when we do that. And then God says, that gift that I just gave you, now go give it to someone else. Ephesians chapter 2, for you were dead in your sins and your trespasses, but God has made you alive in Christ, not of works so that no one can boast, but having been made alive, he's made you for works of self-sacrifice, of giving to others. So you get this life handed back to you that you just said you can have it, and now he gives it back, and now we have to give it to others. And as we give it to others, we are taking on the character of Christ, the intention of this one who gave himself for us. And what looks to the world like loss, like the waste of a life, to spend it in meeting the needs of the stricken, of inviting those to dinner who will never invite us back, of giving without expecting repayment, of going out to the least of these with a cup of cold water, or visiting someone in prison, or taking some clothes to a person in need of them. Jesus says, you did that for me. And he says that when the day comes and you stand before him, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And the candy bar life that we thought was ours, and it was his, and then it was ours, and then it was theirs, 
is repaid to us in spades with eternal life, with abundant life, with joy forevermore. God himself with his people, he with them. No sorrow, no sadness, no death forevermore. Nebuchadnezzar forgot. Nebuchadnezzar heard Daniel's words, but he didn't listen. Perhaps there will be an extension. If you separate yourself from your sins, if you do what is right and you show mercy to the needy, verse 28, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, the king exclaimed, is not this Babylon the Great that I have built to be a royal residence by my vast power and for my majestic glory, says the man who built a 100-foot statue of gold. Did I not do this, verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals. You will feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time until you acknowledge the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms. And he gives them to anyone he wants. At that moment, the message against Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with dew from the sky until his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. He's living like a cow in the field. He's living like a bird. He's living like the beast that God intended for him to provide for, to rule over. And he becomes lower than low. This one who said, is this not testimony to my greatness, to my power, finds himself humbled by the one who actually had the power. Here's what I want us to understand. We've been given a life. We've been asked to give it back. Some of us stop right there. We say, no, this is my life. I'm going to hold on to it. This is my life. You can't have it back. I refuse to acknowledge that you're the one that gave it to me. I refuse to own you as king, God, and so this is mine. And good news, you get a candy bar. Here's the thing, people who reject Jesus aren't always miserable. You can have a really doggone good life without Jesus. You can have a really crummy life without Jesus too. But that's all you get. There's nothing more beyond that. This life and this life alone, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's about the best you got if you cling to that initial gift and demand it be yours and not God's. But many of us sitting in this room, we've handed the candy bar back. We've said, okay, Jesus, you're in charge. Okay, Jesus, you can call the shots. And then he handed it back and we're like, sweet. And we don't hear a thing he says after that. We know that we get to go to heaven when we die. But Jesus himself says, if that's the case, there's not going to be anything extra there for us. 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about those who are saved as through fire. There's one foundation laid, that of Christ Jesus himself. Everyone builds on that foundation. 
by either listening to their Savior or ignoring him. He says, everybody who's got that foundation, they get saved. But not with reward, not with extra. They get saved as through fire because they built with hay and stubble. Others, others build with gold and precious gems, and their work is preserved through the fire because they took that candy bar that Jesus said, here, you can have it back, now take it and give it to somebody else, and they did it. And there are people who history will never know their names, countless, thousands, hundreds, millions, billions even, of humble servants of God. History doesn't know their names, you don't know their names, but God knows their names because they took what God had given back to them and they gave it to others. And when we get to glory, when the king comes and the reign of God is inaugurated in full, new heavens and new earth, there will be people standing next to the throne who were like, who in the world is that? Some of you are going to be close enough to see him. I won't. I'll be too far away. Because heaven's economy doesn't work like ours. You don't buy your way in. You're given the gift. And if you take that gift and give it to others, you're promised a great reward. If you take that gift and you hoard it, you live no different than Scripture says, oh, you're missing out. You're missing out. Nebuchadnezzar was given the gift. He missed out, but he was given an opportunity to repent. But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven and my sanity returned to me. Then I praised the Most High and I honored and glorified him who lives forever. Now, look at this. The result is that he honored and praised God, but that's not what returns his sanity. The, the act that returns his sanity is looking up to heaven. In his animalistic state, in his debased state, all he was capable of was changing where he looked. All he was capable of was looking up to heavens. It's then that his sanity's returned. Once his sanity's returned because he looked up, he then is able to praise and glorify him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. He does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of earth. There is no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? Brothers and sisters, the world is not in desperate need of our intelligence. The world is not in desperate need of our success, of our fame. The world is in desperate need of a group of people who will look up to heaven instead of looking inside themselves. The world is in desperate need of if people, instead of looking around and complaining about all the problems, we will simply redirect our gaze to the one who reigns, the one who does what he wants with the armies of heaven, the one who no one can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? My sanity returned to me, my majesty and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. 
My advisors, my nobles sought me out. I was reestablished over my kingdom and even more greatness came to me. But Nebuchadnezzar learned. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of the heavens because all his works are true and his ways are just. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. Friends, I don't know where you're at in that timeline. The gift of life has been given. Are you holding it? God is saying, give it to me, and you're saying, absolutely not. The gift of life has been given to you, and you said, yes, Lord, I'll give it to you. He's given it back, and you're saying, good, glad we got that out of the way. Now on to real life, getting ahead, looking out for number one, ignoring the needs of those around me. Or have you come to the point where you, not just grudgingly, but joyfully, are giving the life that's been given to you to everyone you meet? Scripture is very clear. Nebuchadnezzar's example holds. Each of us is given a life. Each of us is given an opportunity. Each of us then decides, what are we going to do with it? Is it his life? Is it my life? Is it their life? Or is it all of the above? When we shift, when we, like Nebuchadnezzar, raise our eyes to heaven, we say, as, as, the, as the priest in Rudy told him, you know, there's a God and I'm not him, right? Once we realize there's a God and I'm not him, then all the world of opportunities open up in front of us. But so long as we're clinging to our rights, our authority, we're going to miss it, friends. My challenge to you this morning is to respond appropriately for wherever you're at in that process. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've never confessed him as Lord, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, this morning is the morning to do that. This morning is your chance If you've done that, but you've never taken that next step of saying, all right, thanks for the life now, how do you want me to use it? This morning is your chance to do that. All of us this morning, it's our chance to just marvel, to raise our eyes to heaven and to marvel that God has done such things for us. However the Lord leads you to respond, I pray that you will be faithful. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are here today. We've been everywhere else this week. We've been at home. We've been at work. We've been on the golf course. We've been on the lake. We've been with friends. We've been with enemies. We've been with the rich. We've been with the poor. And yet, God, you are where you've always been on your throne. Would you help us to lift our eyes to see you, God, to exercise this life as you direct, not as a loss to us, but as the greatest gain imaginable. Lord, would you give your people humble hearts? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.